ask you to continue to lift up Mike Griffin in prayer as he's um, away from us today. He's, the church allows us as pastors um, two times where we can go out to do conferences or revivals for other ministries, other churches, and uh, he has taken his second one with doing a missions conference in Florida. And uh, pray for him as he is sharing, as he told me, how the Lord's worked in Green Pines, especially ministering to the nations. And we pray some things are duplicated, those things are of, of the Lord. So continue to lift him up in prayer. We learned last week why it is good to pray for Mike and, and others who go by the name pastor or church. Uh, in that in 1 Timothy 3, if we look, they, they are marked uh, they are especially marked by Satan uh, for attack. Um, it is a continual effort spiritually to uh, ensnare those who lead a church. Uh, and it's a spiritual demonic activity. Um, I don't know if you were to go into a house that you knew were, was booby-trapped, how would you do it? Um, the idea here is what Scripture is saying gives us some guidelines uh, for those who claim church leadership. Life is booby-trapped by Satan. So, the scripture gives us a guideline as to how we should walk, knowing that's the case. And, it, and there's two offices, as we read in 1 Timothy 3. There's the, the elder, pastor, um, overseer office, all three terms interchanged with the same person, group of people, and then the second office is what we'll talk about today, and that is deacon. First Timothy 3, verse 8. Uh, church leadership is a big deal. In that, verse 15, it says that we are God's house, God's family. This is the church of the living God. The living God's church is a, a way to understand a pillar and buttress of truth. And it matters how we lead. I got a fresh reminder of that this past week. Uh, just uh, a little over a week ago... Uh, evidently an encounter occurred with someone who goes by the name of a pastor in the St. Louis area uh, at an Applebee's. This uh, story went viral, um, and basically the headlines is Applebee's fires waitress who posted receipt from pastor complaining about the auto tip. Uh, and it kind of grabbed my attention, uh, and so I, I read this, had a a copy of the receipt and what this, this pastor wrote on the receipt. So the waitress saw this receipt, took a picture of it, put it online, and she was fired for doing so uh, and uh, re- uh, sharing information that evidently was not hers to share. But I could see why she did that uh, in reading this. Uh, so what happens, Chelsea Welch, a waitress, uh, wrote an email to Yahoo News that the pastor, uh, Eloise Bell, told Welch's manager of the St. Louis area Applebee's that the ensuing firestorm that came from this posting ruined her reputation. She wrote on this receipt, I give God 10% where the automatic tip was right, it was put on, she scratched it out, put zero, um, and she said, I give God 10%, why do you get 18%? So she didn't tip. And her reason was because she gives God 10 in her tip, and therefore she should not exceed that tip to anyone else. That went viral. 
In other words, a lot of people read that. Um, And now that she has seen this go everywhere, she's embarrassed for it. This um, bell, a pastor, um, a fellow server, this is the one who was fired. She said, I thought the note was insulting, but also comical. And I thought other users would find it entertaining. Bell, a pastor at Truth and the World Deliverance Ministries Church, was not amused, and she called Welch's manager to complain. It was a lapse in my character and judgment. She did not expect her easily recognizable signature would be, as her friend informed her, all over Yahoo, you went viral. My heart is really broken, Bill added. I've brought embarrassment to my church and ministry. A spokesman for Appleby said it apologized to Bell for violating her right to privacy and confirmed that Welch is no longer employed by the franchise. Welch was surprised that Applebee's fired her, especially because nothing specific in the employee's handbook admonishing this behavior. I had no intention of starting a witch hunt or hurting anyone. I just wanted to share a picture I found interesting. I came home exhausted, sore, burnt, dirty, and blistered on a good day. And after all that, I can be fired for embarrassing someone who directly insults their server on religious grounds. So, with it going viral, I saw it on Facebook. One of my old, um, my high school classmates uh, put it up and uh, had some choice words for the pastor. Uh, I was reading it after I had previously read this. Uh, and I just couldn't help but notice what some of the people were saying on this. Um, Someone put WJWD, what would Jesus do? Um, and then someone else wrote, I view anyone who calls themselves pastor immediately with suspicion. As an aside, I'm amused that it was a party of eight or more and the total bill came to just thirty-four ninety-three. <laughs> um, and, she, and the person did sign it, pastor, uh, on there, which... Uh, thought why um, and and so I was just getting the the tenor of this thread on Facebook and uh, that undoubtedly is being duplicated across the nation and various if not on print in people's minds a pastor did this and this is what it says about God what does that say about God does I I can I can afford not to be generous because I recognize God with my money. And therefore, God must not be generous either. I mean, that's the message that comes across in that. And, and this is the term pastor. Um, so I fortunately found someone that had first shared with this to me. And they wrote an open letter to the waitress just apologizing on behalf of Christians. And in this thread, I did the same. On behalf, as a Christian, I wish I could apologize for this. I didn't say that my name was Pastor also. <laughs> um, but it just is an example of why it matters, church leaders. And even just tipping. People pay attention, you know, on Sundays. Uh, church folks, it's usually pretty obvious. 
And most waiters and waitresses would tell you Sunday's not a great day as far as tips go. They know it's church, folks. They don't necessarily order the alcoholic drinks where more money comes from, and they don't tip great. This is just a scenario, one of many things that we could bring out. But this one happens to be tied to someone with the title pastor and how it has repercussions. But I found that humility, even in those things, God can use. And I pray it is used as I talk to some old classmates. Um, And I'm sure it didn't take them long to figure out that I'm a pastor now. Um, It matters. At being a church leader, you are walking in booby-trapped world by Satan. And so, I would just really encourage you to hold tight to 1 Timothy 3. Because it gives us guidelines, it gives us uh, instructions on how to live life. And one of the things I, I challenge uh, as we look at uh, who, who can be good deacons and good church leaders, uh, and I just ask this question, what direction in their life are they going toward? Are they going to a 1 Timothy 3.8 direction? In other words, it's not that they've got it down... Not that everyone's got it, but what direction are you going into? And I pray that if you join our church, that you read 1 Timothy 3.8 through verse 13, and you tell yourself, God, by His grace, by His Spirit, I will go in this direction. And it matters what direction your life is going into. What direction is your life going into? Is each day, are you going closer to the Lord? Is that the direction you're going in? Because if it's not, then the other only direction you can go in is away from the Lord. And I pray that by God's grace and by the Word of God and His Spirit, that if you're a member here, and even if you're not, that you are growing toward the Lord. And as you grow toward the Lord, it's going to make a difference in your life. And 1 Timothy 3, 8-13 through 13 tells us this is how you know that God's making a difference in someone's life. These things happen. So, with that thought... Let's stand as we read verse 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Likewise, as compared to the elder overseer. Must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Before I go and talk about some of these qualities, it's probably helpful for us to kind of take a step back and just ask the question, what are deacons? Before we talk about who they are or how they're qualified. We see the story of deacons... Uh, deacon literally meaning serve, waiter, <laughs> fitting. Uh, these, are, these are the waiters in our church, the servers in our church. But it takes on 
a, uh, an office title as well. And then in 1 Timothy 3 bears that out of the two offices. And so there's anyone who serves that can be called a deacon, but then there's the office that has this title as well. Uh, and so you see this first institute in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, and I'll just read some of that to you now. It says, in those days, when disciples were increasing in number, this is the early church in Jerusalem, all right? They're, they're coming together, and, and they're becoming uh, God's people unique under Christ uh, as, as Jews. And, and, and others were what they called Hellenist Jews coming in to be part of their fellowship. That These are the more Greek-styled Jews. Uh, and, and so you've got them coming in. And so uh, as they're increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution and twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and list out several of them. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so it's, I think it's very informing to see what caused the advent of deacons. And, and simply it was a disunity that was starting to occur because of, of a physical need. Widows were there, and they were not being served, and there became the accusation, whether it was true or not, the perception was that the ones that were not getting served were the Hellenists, and there was favoritism going to the Jews. And so this started to grow dissension in the church, and to the point of where it was a problem. And so two things that were important, according to this. The Word of God must continue to go forth. But at the same time, the widows needed to be served. So you can't go without one. And the disciples or the apostles were saying, you know, it is important that we stay in the word of God and pray because this is vital to the identity of our churches, how God can work, his will can be made known. God can do his pruning work through this by the spirit of God. We must continue in prayer and the word of God. That must not, must stop. Interesting enough, it's the very thing that the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, wanted the disciples to stop doing. Teach the Word of God. Sometimes externally, we will resist uh, the pressure to, to keep from uh, or quieting the voice of God or quieting the Word of God, but sometimes we will quiet it ourselves due to internal issues. You know what Satan would... He does not want us to share the gospel with the community. Can you imagine if the mayor or somebody, or the police... Uh, came to our, our church and said, we don't want you to teach the Word of God. We don't want you to preach the Word of God. And by certainly, you cannot go out into the communities and proclaim Christ. How would we respond to that? I think there's going to be a large portion of us that's going to rise up at that and, and say, we're going to do it. One way or the other, by God's grace, we are going to be obedient to God and not man. And so we're going to rise up. Interesting how we will rise up in that case. But when it's internal, when we get so focused on the problems that's going on within our own body that we voluntarily stop preaching the good news, stop proclaiming the witness, isn't it? It's the same effect. Satan can have his results one way or the other. And sometimes what we want to come to externally because it's internal and strife and struggles within, we volunteer 
we won't share the gospel. I don't think there's much persecution in America because not much persecution is needed to keep the Christians quiet. We have silenced ourselves. We need no one to silence us. As a church, we've got to be careful. Satan will try to silence us one way or the other, and there's many ways to do it. And so, uh, you found in the early church, it wasn't going to happen through the Pharisees. It wasn't going to happen through some of the religious leaders of the day. And so perhaps maybe it's going to be done through dissension within. And so the disciples and apostles saw it for what it was and said, you know, we can't stop proclaiming the word of God. We must continue in prayer and teaching of the word of God. But at the same time, they're not going to do that at the expense of not ministering to the widows. Because that's love. And it's about loving one another. And so if they're not careful, then they can go the other extreme and not love each other, which also is the attack of Satan. And so the solution came with deacons. People set aside uh, by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, set aside by the church itself to say, help us bridge the gap. And so it was born out of dissension, born out of a practical need. And so there's a few things that we can learn from that about the role of deacons. And just three statements I wrote down. Whatever threatens the word of God, deacons overcome. Whatever threatens the word of God, deacons overcome. And it could be one way or the other, whether it's internal or external. And they know there are some people God has set aside in the church to teach the word of God. Allow them, deacons will serve to allow these people to teach the word of God and to pray. The second statement I wrote down is whatever hurts the love of, ch- of the church for each other, deacons serve. Deacons serve. Whatever may hurt the love of the church for each other, deacons serve to overcome that. And that's what they did in the early church. And so there is, uh, by the title itself, a, a, a desire within the deacon that says, whatever needs to be met to make sure that a church loves one another, how can I practically take care of that? And so it's not necessarily just waiting to see someone telling you what to do as much as is, I've got a heart to do it. And I want to make sure our church is loving one another. And then third, whatever strikes at the unity of the church. Whatever strikes at the unity of the church, the deacons sacrifice. The deacons sacrifice to maintain the unity of the church. And so in that day and time, to preserve the unity of the church meant that they were going to serve tables. Today... It may be a different solution, but it always involves sacrifice on the deacon's part to make sure there is unity within our church. And so we see that as the beginning of the deacon ministry, of how it started. I think it's interesting that when you look in Acts chapter 6, that the names there of uh, the deacons uh, were Hellenistic. Some of them were Greek-style names which tells us that the deacons were chosen very specifically to represent the different groups of the people to help maintain the unity. I think that is still a sound practice in our church today. That's why we need deacons who are younger, and that's why we need deacons who are older. We've got both, and I praise God we do. Some churches have all young, and some churches have all old, and they do it to their own hurt. 
We need one another. But also, as we keep on growing in reaching the community, we've got to be careful and think about who are we reaching, who's coming here, and are we representing their cultural well in our church? And so somewhere along the way, if, if God blesses us in reaching Hispanics and reaching Kenyans or, or reaching the Karen, which we have all three today in our worship, I thank, thank you that you're here uh, together, whether you're the Karen people or the, or the Kenyan or the Hispanic. That if we continue to reach out, that's something we're going to have to be aware of to make sure that who we're reaching and building as a church are represented. Now, that's the Acts 6 Genesis of uh, the deacons. Now let's go back to what we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Now, knowing all that, well, verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. All right, This is kind of the general term, a cover term, worthy of respect. And he's about to give us three negatives, how we can maintain respect and be dignified. One way we can do this is by not being double-tongued. Double-tongued. Our sincere might be uh, what your translations say, but the, the idea is double-tongued. And, and the, the point here is that you're not going to talk one way with one group and talk another way with another group. You're not going to entertain and share rumors with folks that you feel like are uh, that's going to feed them and then talk with another group and, and say something totally different. Why is that important? Because deacons are tasked with unity. And if you yourself are not unified within your own self, and that's your task, I mean, how, how would it do for a police officer to be, well, supportive of the law sometimes, but when he's around another group, he's not supportive of the law. And he's ta- tasked with enforcing the law? That creates riots and corruption. And so because of their role, it's important that they themselves are unified and consistent and they present a consistent report with the, their different groups within the church. It would not do for uh, Stephen, as one of the deacons, to talk one way among the Greek-styled Jews and totally different among the Hebrews. And this is something that is still a lesson to learn. And so deacons, likewise, must not be double-tongued. Deacons, likewise, must not be addicted to much wine. I talked about this last week a little bit, uh, about that with, with pastors, and I just shared that I personally uh, fulfilled this uh, command by not drinking alcohol. And so I don't have to wonder whether or not I've drunk too much. I don't have to fight the addiction that alcohol can bring. I've got enough problems of my own born within my heart. I don't need to add in extra things for me to struggle with. And so... One of the things I've asked our deacons to do, that when they serve and we go through the yoke fellow uh, training, one of the things that come up, I say, look, you know, I don't know where you are in your, your drinking intake, uh, but one of the things I've asked of our deacons is that if you're a deacon in our church, that you don't drink alcohol. And that's just a standard that I've brought in. No, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It says not given to much wine or not addicted to much wine. Some have challenged me about that and, and say, yeah, you're right. That's what the text says. But I found that this is to be helpful or in our day, in our age where we live and the, the context that we're in, that it's better for us not to do it at all. And you don't have to worry about it. I'm trying to help. Okay. 
And so that's just where our standard is with the deacons of our church. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified by not being double-tongued, by not addicted to much wine. Which, by the way, if you're addicted to much wine, you're not going to be dignified. All right? It's going to, it's going to undermine somewhere, some way, and there'll be pictures, all right? Uh, so it's just, this is how to maintain some dignity and worth of respect. And then, third way is not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for dishonest gain. When we start having desire for money, love of money is such that it cannot be reconciled with love of people. They, it's like oil and water. They don't mix together. Because you are going to use people to get money, are you going to use money to bless people? But if your heart's set on money, then it's a lot long before you start using people for that money. And so we want to have the love of Christ and the love of God's church supplanted over money because what is this church? Well, just a few down, verses down says that this church is God's family. This, this is the church of the living God who sees and is aware of our loves and priorities, that this is the pillar of buttress of truth. Why would we trade that for some dollars, some money? We do not want to trade the integrity of the church and put a price tag on it because it's God's. It's God's. And so, these things are not reconciled. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters for you will love the one and hate the other. And he was talking about money. And so, this is not going to be something that is uh, identifying Leaders in a church who are to love God, love Christ, and love the church, love God's family more than money. And that's why I say that the deacons will have to sacrifice to maintain the unity of the church because sometimes uh, it may come at financial cost. And what scripture is saying is it's worth it. What was the cost of Christ to establish the church? It was his own blood, his own son, precious blood. So it's not too big of a deal if there is financial cost for us to maintain the unity of our church. As we keep on reading, there's the dignity, the external behavior. Then verse 9, there's also the internal, internal. They must hold the mystery of faith, of the faith, with a clear conscience. So the mystery of the faith, and, and we get a little clue to that in verse 16, just a few verses down. What, what mystery of faith? That sounds so uh, abstract. But he, he puts some tangibles on this when he talks about the mystery of godliness. He says, and this was evidently a song, verse 16, we talked about this already, that he was manifested, referring to, to God, manifested in the flesh through Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What this is, is statements of faith pertaining to their faith. That which is essential for salvation. Do you believe that you are a sinner? That you were born sin and has impaired who you are? Every part of who you are. Do you believe that God has grace and mercy and that He uh, revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus is both God and man to show us who 
God the Father is. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and in dying on the cross substituted your sins for his righteousness and that there is a heavenly exchange that takes place and that he was put into the ground and rose again on the third day to show his victory over sin and show God's view of, of Christ that the Spirit of God is attesting to the person of Christ and that he ascended to be with the Father reigning there next to the Father and sends down his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to reside in you to establish His reign in your heart. Hold on to that. You believe that. This is not just some uh, statement of faith, but it's something that shapes how you think your conscience. And here's what it says. I love that. That it's not just some statement of faith, but it shapes how you think. That you hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience that's impacting how you treat one another so it's not just what you know we want our deacons to know about god's word we want the deacons to know doctrine we want our deacons to be able to come that when someone comes down here at the altar and they say you know i need to make a decision for lord i need some counseling that the deacons have some words of scripture some understanding of doctrine that they can share with them but it's not just what you know i share with you before spiritual maturity is about what you do and what you believe and we've got to be careful we don't confuse those. The deacon is impacted by their thought life and the word of God. They have a clear conscience. And so there's the external, verse 8. There's the internal, uh, verse 9. Um, and we see this also, uh, the reward of that in verse 12. But then we keep on uh, reading verse 10. Let them also be tested first. And let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless. We talked already about blameless in, in the previous passage last week of, of making right your wrongs. It's not that you are um, perfect. But you make right your wrongs. It's, it's the idea of not easily grasped. And so, you need to be tested. When they used to make armor uh, back in the medieval days, one of the things of, a, of someone who made armor... Uh, you would look for buying it is that that builder would then take a crossbow which was one of the most powerful weapons of the day and be very close and fire it at the armor and so one of the testings was to see that the dent of the crossbow on that armor and if you saw that dent then you thought okay i'm willing to buy it i'm willing to wear it because there's no hole and so it's okay, I'm going to wear this. And so it was tested. And so to be uh, tested is not an easy thing. It's, it's not a comfortable thing. And what he's just admonishing a church to do is to say, look at those men who have been fired upon. Look at how they've been challenged. And how did they respond? Did they uh, wilt in their faith? Did they wilt in their love, in their graciousness? Or was there something greater than the attack that was forming in their heart and they responded by? Give them time to see that. I've, um, I've shared when, whenever it comes up to our deacons and, and who will be good candidates for the yoke fellow that uh, I, I just shared that you know, they need to be here at least one year for us to, at least one year before they get into the yoke fellow, just so that there is opportunity because when someone joins the church, oftentimes it's, it's a honeymoon period of, man, everything's great. And sometimes it's compared to where they come from, which is not the greatest standard. All right? we're, we're not to compare churches to one another, much like we shouldn't compare 
people to one another. We, we look to Christ. How does it stack to Christ? Do we see Christ working there? And, and so, give them that time where there is disappointment. Or they have opportunity to respond to maybe hard things. Let them be first tested. And then, uh, after that, our deacons put them in a yoke fellow program where they are there for a year, where they have some some reading and some assignments given to them, some one-on-one time with some of the deacons and myself where we go working and visiting together where we can uh, share their life a little bit and share our life with them and just to see where they are in that time period. But the, the point of it is, it, it all comes down to verse 10, why we do that, that they are to be tested, prove themselves blameless. And then verse 10 their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Now, the word for wife there is literally the word for woman. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so the, the debate is, is he talking about the wives of deacons or is he talking about women deacons? And all that we can go by is the context to make that call and the context isn't necessarily full-out, 100% persuasive one way or the other. However, I would bring this, that the role of deacon has changed church to church. And if we look at 1 Timothy 2, in a conjunction with this, that if we're looking at deacon having a spiritual leadership aspect of this, that I think that is, is a few verses right above this, has governing over that, if we're looking at deacons that have spiritual authority. So whether it's talking about the wife or talking about another uh, a group of women, that has governing over this if we're talking about spiritual leadership in some of what 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives instruction over uh, in this. In, ver- in verse 2 of that same chapter, 1 Timothy 2. If it's talking about women of wives, are women, the point is still the same. Women who have leadership in a church, be it through a deacon's wife or some other means, the qualities are still there. Dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. In our church, we have only men that are, that are deacons, but in choosing the men, their wife is as important as the men in the selection and working of deacons. Very similar to what you see in verse 8 is what you have here in verse 10. Likewise, the deacons' men must be dignified. The women must also be dignified, worthy of respect. Then how does that happen for women? Not slanders. Not slanders. Not speaking evil or accusations that cannot be founded uh, and sharing about others are talking about problems within the church with people who are not part of the problem or part of the solution. Of that type of spreading the news out can have a malicious effect. Interesting enough, the word slander is the same word used for the devil in 1 Peter 5, 8. An accuser. When we are slandering, we are going down the same role, role of the enemy of God. When we're slandering others. When we start 
prefacing our statements with, can you believe what they did? Generally, what follows won't be great. Our edifying, our building of faith. As to why it's spelled out for women in verse 10, never states, it just is spelled out for women, especially in verse 10, whether the communicative nature of women, and I would say that's been offset with technology and men. Men can talk as much as women online. And so, perhaps it's tied somehow to the communicative nature of the female versus the male. We see the same word in 2 Timothy 3.3, 3, using to slander in Titus 2.3, representing are used toward misrepresenting. Misrepresenting. But instead of being slanderers, to be sober minded to have a sense of stability in your spirit control faithful in all things i'm just going to tell you i i have been blessed as a pastor with my wife julie um, she doesn't talk much and that's just her nature she's an introvert but i trust her and she She's not here. She always manages to be out on these times doing nursery work or something, I assume. But I trust her. I've seen pastors, ministries destroyed by wives and what they said in churches. Deacons, your wives matter in this. And what they say and what they don't say, to be faithful in all things... And, and whether it's referred to a separate group of, of women or uh, wives of deacons, I think the point of influence is still the same. Our deacons' wives are considered people of influence. And these characteristics also should represent the, the direction in which we want to go. Verse 12. So we've seen the external. We've seen the internal aspect of this. We've seen uh, the female aspect of this. Verse 12, the family aspect. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And we shared with this a little bit when we talked about pastors. The point I want to bring out is that the, the verbs and the words used is not referring to a status. Status being husband of, of, of one wife or divorce is not the, the language of that, of, of, of what's your status. But it is used more of as a characteristic. A characteristic. In other words, it's not just my status in life, but how I live my life. Do you see the difference there? Not just the status of my life as to whether I'm single, married, divorced, have two, two, and certainly not two wives, that's forbidden in other places. Um, But how do I live with my wife? To have a one-woman mindset is the idea. And I've shared with with us before that pastors are not to be known as flirts, Deacons are not to be known as flirts or flirtatious. We have to be careful. And it starts in our mind. It starts in our our mind. 
to have an attitude, attitude set by God, by God's grace, both the Spirit's help and the, and, and the Lord's working through the Word of God to say, I have one woman in my life, and it starts there. And if it starts there, it finishes there. If it doesn't start there, it'll finish elsewhere. Let it start and finish in your mind. It's referring in your family life uh, of not just status, but even more important, characteristic. And so with that, managing their children and their own households well. Now, we saw how this was uh, relevant to the elder over, overseer, the pastor, because the similarity of God's household with their own household. Guess what my family is? The Scott family, the Scott household, that's God's too. It's not my family. It is, but it's God's. It belongs to Him. And so I steward in the place of the Lord. And so that is a smaller group. I pray. <laughs> but the idea is if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. And so if you're not faithful in the little of being the loving husband, the caretaker for your family to ensure that there's respect toward the Lord in the issues of obedience and that they're taught in the ways of the Lord, then there is no certainty whatsoever that's going to happen on a larger scale within the church. And so the family life is once again relevant to church life. So being in either office, whether an elder, pastor, uh, overseer, or the deacon, the family life matters. Let the deacon each be the husband of one wife, managing their children or caring for the children and their own households well. If your faith isn't real with your family, then your faith isn't real. Faith being real isn't the same as you never losing your cool, never losing your temper. But when you do lose your temper, you recognize it as sin. And you hate it. And you confess it. And you seek forgiveness for it. And by God's grace, it has an effect in our life. Where we start loving patience more than anger. And we start trusting God with His control instead of relying on our own tactics for control. Somewhere along the way, and you older parents know this, you can't just tell your child what to do anymore and expect them to do it. Somewhere along the way, discipline tactics is replaced with prayer. Because if it's not replaced with prayer, it's replaced with a heart attack. <laughs> but I think that for us younger parents, we would do well to understand that it's always prayer. Anyway, just as a little tip, if we correct and don't pray, then we are not trusting God with our family and trusting ourselves. That doesn't work in our church, <laughs> it doesn't work in our families. Now, and then there's an encouragement in verse 12. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, this good standing for themselves is not good standing with God. It's not good standing in heaven. It's not referring to a heavenly reward that if you do this well, then you can expect greater rewards. That, that may be, but that's not what this verse is talking about. A good standing for themselves is your point of influence within the church that God places you. But also with that, as we grow in faith, and we obey out of God's done in our life, it has a, a, a positive cycle. A positive cycle in your walk with the Lord. And that's why the last part is, is important. As also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When I sense God's Spirit working in me, and I am overwhelmed with God's love, and, he, and I, I, I pray that weekly, daily, we get in awe of God's love, and we see God's love anew in our life, and, and get dumbfounded on a continual basis with how God loves us. As that happens in us, it sparks in our heart a love toward God and a faith, a trust. God, you know what? I don't understand how you're working, but I'm going to trust that you're good and that you're working toward this a good end that only you can understand. And I believe that. And so because of that, it changes our heart and our spirit gets warm toward the Lord. It starts desiring God, desiring a relationship with Him. And we cultivate a love relationship. And because of desire for that, we start obeying. We just obey. Because we want God's love more than someone else's love. And so we start obeying God. And as we start obeying God, we see God work through that. Sometimes we see it obvious and sometimes we wait on it to see how God works. And as we see God works in that, guess what that does again? That takes me back to square one. God, you are so loving. You are so good. You're amazing how you work. And it just encourages me to do it more. And so the person who obeys God out of faith, out of the gospel, will grow in a cycle and confidence, you notice this confidence and faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so this deacon, all that they're doing is obeying God and loving Him. And as they love God and obey God, then they grow in confidence, not in themselves, but confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. On the other end of this, as a pastor, I do my share of counsel with folks who are not sure about their walk in life with God. Maybe I didn't mean it when I prayed that. Maybe I didn't really understand what God has done. Maybe I didn't really understand my sin. And they start questioning the moment of their faith, or, or the prayer that they prayed, and they have all these questions that, that go into it. And here's the thing, they're trusting in a prayer. And what Scripture is saying is that we trust God and we repent. We trust God. That's what that prayer expresses, isn't it? God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me and rose again on the third. Now, I'm going to trust you with that. And God, by your grace, I want to make you Lord instead of myself. That's, that's repentance, isn't it? Isn't that trusting God? And to understand where that comes in, that when we trust God and repent, that's going to have effects in our life. And we live those effects. When we stop living repentance, when we no longer repent, it should be no surprise that we are weak in our faith. When we're not repentant, when we're not trusting God, then it starts a downward cycle. I don't trust God here, so I'm not going to... 
I'm not going to obey him in that because I don't trust him in that. And because I, I didn't obey him that, then, then it kind of takes away my love from God, or love for God, rather. Not from God, but for God. And, and that starts, a, next thing I start loving something else more. And before long, I don't see any effects. And so then someone preaches a sermon, or I read a passage, or hear something that just really convicts me to my heart. And now I don't even know if I'm saved. Because there's a downward cycle of distrust and not obeying. You're not saved by obeying. But as you obey God and have your heart changed toward God, it verifies that you are saved. So the deacon is just being obedient to the grace of God. To the Spirit of God that's working in their life. And as they serve, and as they love, and as they sacrifice, and they see God at work in these things, it verifies, once again, God is at work, and there is great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me how Stephen, in just a short time, was... Uh, it couldn't have been long between him knowing Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord, and the Spirit of God working in life, so that the church of thousands recognize he's a man filled with the Spirit of God. And next thing you know, he is... Uh, proclaiming boldly, boldly before the enemies and is being stoned. And as he's being stoned, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Who says stuff like that? Deacons do. Deacons do. Out of sacrifice. Out of love for God. Out of great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And deacons, sometimes the stone stone will come from within. But don't stop serving. Don't stop loving because your Lord is greater than the people around and the love of God captures your heart and you will act and serve out of what God is doing, not what others are doing or not doing to you. The role of deacons have gotten confused along the way. Let me just speak a little bit practically in our church. I think the role of deacons have changed in Green Pines. I hadn't been here the whole time. Some of you could attest to this much better than me. But there was a period in time when the pastors were so frequent, coming and going, that the, the strongholds are the, the strength is the people, and as is our Lord, but it's also through the people. And so the deacons were the ones that were to carry the responsibility and make the decisions of our church. And they did. Somewhere along the way, 15-some years ago or more, I'm not entirely sure, a shift occurred in the teaching, and rightfully so far as far as Scripture goes, of, of elders directing and defining uh, as First Timothy 3 brings out, as, as overseers, and I thought, well, you know, the deacons really shouldn't be doing this. Just this is overseers. These elders should be doing this. And, and so there's a shift that happened about 15 years ago of, uh, well, deacons, you're a serving body. You're, you're not a board. And so the, the pastors are to make these decisions. And it, and it caused a little bit of internal confusion and struggle there because the pastors would come and would go, and do we really trust them? 
Do we really know them? Are they tested? Are they approved? But I know these men are tested and approved. And so that's why where I come in today, I think there's still confusion. And what I would present, and I'm going to just ask that we continue to study this together. If you come tonight, we're going to talk about this a little bit throughout this year. The solution isn't just someone we bring in that we've never known before that has the title reverend and give them the title pastor and say, okay, you're now an elder of the church. We will trust you as the overseer, as 1 Timothy 3 tells us. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer, which is the common solution for our church and most churches. But to say, okay, these who teach well the scriptures, let's recognize them. If they have the qualities of 1 Timothy 3, But is there anyone in our church who may in times past served as the deacon, and perhaps we know them as a deacon board, but they can be as an overseer, that they meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, that we would trust them as a teacher? Is there anyone like that in a church? If there's not, maybe we should pray for that. And that there is, as we see in multiple places in Scripture, a group and elders, overseers, working together, small group, with still one leading in that role. Allow deacons to serve as they've been called to do, to serve. To be honest with you, I have leaned on our deacons the last two years as elders. To their confusion. But I've leaned on them as their elders because there are some things I just need counsel with and help with. And I need their opinion. I need their prayer. I need their input. And there's been some things I said, okay, you guys don't feel comfortable. We're not going to go that way. But at the same time, it produces a little bit of confusion when we read a passage like 1 Timothy 3 and talks about, well, we're servants. We're servants. That's why I just pray and ask that you pray for this next year that we will read the New Testament to discover church. And let green pines be shaped by what the scripture says. Not just what we've always done. And what other churches tend to do. I'm a, as a pastor, I'm under your authority of the church in general. And I will be submissive to that because I'm underneath you as a, as a church. But I am praying and I am praying for God to use me to be of a persuasive servant in our church to share the word of God and let you think about it for yourself but the good news the bad news and the good news the bad news green pines will always be flawed it will always be imperfect it will always have its glitches and messes that's the bad news the good news our hope is not set in green pines our hope is set on Christ and his work as our Savior. And we will pray that Christ will shine in our church. Will you pray that Christ shines in your life? To know that you've got one who's dignified, who's not a slanderer, who's not double-tongued. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't saying one thing to us and another thing to the Father? He's not double-tongued. He's not addicted to much wine. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. 
He is for the glory of the Father. He holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. He has been tested first and found blameless. And he manages his children and his household well. And he has gained a good standing for himself so that we might have great confidence and the faith in Christ Jesus. That's our Savior. Let's pray.